invite you to turn to the book of Micah, which you'll find towards the end of the Old Testament, just after Jonah. Uh, Micah chapter 5 will be our text this morning, and as you turn there, I want to bring you a, a word of greetings from Grace Family Church. It's a church plant in the Rogers Park area of Chicago, just north of downtown Chicago, and that's where I was last Lord's Day and was able to preach uh, there and their fellowship, which meets uh, in an elementary school auditorium, and God is doing a great work there. In fact, uh, while Sandy and Caroline and I were there visiting with them, and I was able to preach, we were also able to pray over uh, Christmas boxes. This is an outreach that we have partnered with them in uh, through our giving, and they have put together boxes that have in them uh, meals and provisions for families in need. Uh, some families of that very school they meet in, in fact, 40 of those were going to students and their families, and so we prayed over those boxes, prayed for those families, uh, talked about future ministry opportunities, and I look forward in the coming months to share with you about some chances to go to Chicago. I can assure you it will not be in December. It was very cold, and it is far colder there. In fact, some have said that I brought the cold with me, and for that, uh, I apologize I am sending it back around Tuesday or Wednesday this week, I promise you. And so, uh, but it was great to, to be with them even in the cold weather uh, and to see the work that God is doing there and to remember that, that God is doing work all over the globe and I am grateful that we can partner with so many in that work, uh, including that church and including churches in West Africa and in Poland and, and through places that we don't even know the names of through our cooperative giving and supporting ministries and missionaries and I'll remind you this Christmas Day when we're able to gather here with our church family and you're able to gather uh, with your families back home that uh, there are many who have given up that opportunity uh, so that they might take the gospel to the nations. And, and they're there uh, without their families, without their larger church families. And so please remember to pray for them on this Lord's Day as well. well we're going to look uh, to Micah chapter 5, at least the the first part of verse 5 is one that you may be familiar with, one that perhaps you found on a Christmas card this year, and so I thought it'd be fitting on this Christmas day to consider the context of that verse and what it is that Christ, our Messiah, promises and has brought us uh, in his word and through his life and death and resurrection. So we're going to look at Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through the beginning of verse 5, and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I invite you this Lord's Day to stand together. As I read this passage for us, this is what we find in Micah 5. God says this to us. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. You would pray with me. 
Father, we thank you that you have brought us peace through our Lord Jesus. Help us now to better understand that peace, to celebrate that peace, and to share that peace with others this day and in coming days. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is the time of year where perhaps you have found, as I have, uh, those letters that appear in the paper, letters usually from young children written to Santa, letters that have their list of what they're asking for for Christmas. And if you pay attention to those letters, they often tell us a bit about the the day in which they're written, uh, about the things they ask for and the timing of those things. And so it's interesting to to rewind time a bit and to go back and to look at some of those letters from more than a few years ago. I've shared some of these in the past and I've come across more uh, recently. These are letters from the 1890s and early 1900s from children at Christmas time. And I'll notice the things they're asking for, some humorous. One writes, uh, Dear Santa, how are you doing? My finger got bit off by my daddy's hog. I want a wagon and a goat that pulls hard. That was from Emmeline in Indiana in 1910. Uh, Jimmy in South Carolina wrote this in 1921. Dear Santa, I know you're not rich this year. This was right before the Great Depression. But please bring me a tricycle with a bell on it. And if it hasn't got a bell, don't bring it. (laughs) One girl in Nebraska wrote this in 1903. Dear Santa Claus, Maggie next door had two dollies last Christmas, and I had none. I cried all day. She don't need any new dollies this Christmas, so don't give her any, and give me two. (laughs) Donald in Virginia wrote this in 1900. Dear Santa, I am the worst boy you have ever seen in all your born days. But if you give me a pocket knife, I'll try to do better. Your friend, Donald. I'm going to guess that Donald did not get a pocket knife after that confession. One more. uh, Harold in Montana in 1898 wrote this. Dear Sandy Claus, please please bring me a horse, a cow, an elephant, and a shovel. (laughs) If you've been to the circus, you know why I need the shovel after the elephant. So... Well, those are humorous. They tell us a bit about the day in which they're written, and some aren't as humorous. In fact, I read this one this year. I think it'll strike a chord with you as well. It said, Dear Santa, my name is Petro, and I have a sister. Her name is Stefana. I am six years old, and my sister is two and a half. We used to live in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, but we can't live there anymore because there's a war. He went on in his letter to ask for things for his parents, for his sister, but for himself he simply said, I just want peace. A six-year-old boy who just wants peace. And a nation, and in a part of that nation that has been devastated by war. A war that's been going on since February, a war that doesn't seem to have any end in sight. And what this young boy just wants is peace in his home country. But that's not the only place there's a war, and that's not the only person praying for peace. And in fact, all of us in this room probably know what it is to pray for peace. Maybe not so much because there's war in our backyard, but there's all kinds of peace we are often looking for. A peace in relationships when there's difficulty and friction. Perhaps some of that 
that you experience this time of year and are reminded of this time of year. And so we just want peace with other people. Sometimes there, there's a sense of inner peace that we are lacking, we are conflicted, we are struggling with something, and we just want to be at peace. And of course, peace like what Petro asked for here, where there's conflicts and wars and battles, and, and people just want at the end, they, they just want peace. And so it's fitting for us on this Christmas day, as we look at God's Word, to consider what is it that truly brings us peace? And to consider when we read passages like Micah 5 that Christ will be our peace, when we consider that God's Word says He's the Prince of Peace, and He has indeed come, and He has indeed died for our sins, and He has indeed been resurrected, to consider, well, why is it that we still lack so much peace so often? If Jesus indeed is the Prince of Peace, if He brings everlasting peace, then why are children like Petro writing letters still looking for peace? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with where we find our hope on this day and every day. And so that's where we'll begin as we walk through today's passage. The first point I put there in your outline is this. Our hope cannot rest in the kings of this world. If we're looking for peace from world leaders, we're always going to be looking because they're not the ones that bring us peace. Therefore, they're not the ones in which we can put our hope. And that's a fitting word, because that's exactly the context we find here in Micah chapter 5. We find this during a time when there, there wasn't peace. And this goes back to the history of God's people and the things they had asked God for. Now, we have studied quite a bit of the Old Testament here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, but just as a reminder to you, when we think about kings and world leaders, that this was not the original design for God's people because God is their king. And yet, the people wanted to have a king. God gave prophets, He gave priests, He gave judges, and yet they just wanted to be like the other nations. That They just wanted a king. They cried out for a king. God told them. If I give you a king, here's what it's going to be like. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be wars. Your, your children will fight these wars for these kings. But they, like we, were stubborn. They cried out for a king. God gave them a king. And you know the history from there. And that history leads up to times like we find in the book of Micah where Kings go to wars, and kings turn from God, and people turn from God, and in their turning from God, God brings judgment. And one of the ways that God often would bring that judgment through kings who did not follow Him, through people who did not follow Him, was to bring foreign kings, ungodly kings, and their armies to come against God's people. God would allow at times, providentially, He would call for at times, these pagan nations and pagan rulers to, to conquer His people. It was judgment. It was to bring them to a point that they might cry out rightly to God and they might experience deliverance from Him. And that is the context that we find here in the book of Micah. In fact, just before this, in chapter 4, verse 11, we read this, Many nations are assembled against you. God is saying through Micah to His people that the judgment is coming, the armies have gathered, and then we get to chapter 5, verse 1, and we read, the siege has come. The siege is laid against us, Micah writes. 
With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Maybe you've heard that expression before, a a slap in the face. That's not a, a sign of victorious celebration. That's not a sign of honoring someone. That, that's a sign of a signal, a symbol of, of great humility to, to be slapped on the cheek. This picture that Micah gives us of a, a rod striking the judge of Israel on the cheek, this is a, a picture of humiliation. And it's a warning to them of the humiliation that's going to come against them as they have turned away from their God. And that Micah's reminding them that they can't put their hope in the kings of this world and the leaders of this world. They, they must put their hope in God. Because the kings of this earth, they will rise and they will fall. You may have read as I have what historians tell us that throughout history there have been about 21 great civilizations and all of them have shared the same fate. Now they've all risen, they've all been glorious for a season, but they've all fallen. And now we visit their ruins. And now we study the ark that's been preserved from their day and their age. We, we study their history from the past, but not the present, because there is no present history for these great civilizations. They have fallen, just as those before them fell. And so when we read about days like Micah's, where you have mighty nations like Babylon, we have them no longer, that they've fallen. When we read in God's Word about days of the power in Greece and Rome, we're reminded that they too have fallen. Because this is the course of human history. And so friends, be careful who you put your hope in. Be careful who you look to for ultimate deliverance and victory. I believe we have every right and should be patriotic. I believe as God's people we should be heavily involved in politics and in voting. We we have a moral duty to these things. But remember, ultimately that is not where our hope rests. And as we gather on this Christmas day, remember it is Christ that we are to put our hope in. A leader who reigned through humiliation. I've heard, as I'm sure you have on the radio, that song playing, Mary, Did You Know? And uh, you'll see little memes about that. I've even mentioned this before in preaching. Well, of course, Mary knew. There was so much that Mary knew. We know in the Scripture exactly what Mary knew. And yet, when we really consider what God's Word says and we consider the narratives given to us in the Gospels, we realize that Mary and so many others didn't fully know and fully grasp the exact events that would take place in the humiliation of our Lord Jesus. I don't think that Mary fully understood and grasped when she held our Lord Jesus as an infant in her arms, as she held His little hands and maybe put them to hers, that one day those hands would grow much bigger and they would be pierced for her transgressions and ours. I don't know that as He was growing up, as His parents likely, like our parents and we as parents, might have been complaining about children's feet growing so rapidly and the need for new shoes. That Maybe there was a conversation between Mary and Joseph where she's telling Joseph that she's got to go to the market and she's got to get more supplies and materials because Jesus' feet won't stop growing. (laughs) I don't know that she fully grasped what would happen to those feet. 
and the spikes that would be driven into them as he was nailed to the cross for her sins and my sins and your sins. Now, I don't know that Mary or anyone leading up to the cross fully grasped and understood what it was Jesus would endure, but Jesus did. And he willingly went to that cross for our sins, that we might have life through him. Friends, that's the leader we put our hope in. That's the king we put our hope in. Which brings us to the second point there in your outline. Number two, our hope must rest in the promised king. Micah here is telling us about the promised king, the king to come in Jesus. He is prophetically speaking of forward events by looking back on past events. He's telling us and reminding us that there's a promise made by God that the Messiah would come, the king would reign. We find that promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15. We talk of that promise often because God has brought that promise to fruition in Christ. The one who would come and crush the head of the enemy. And that is our King, Jesus. And not the great kings of this world who yielded such great power. No, this promised King laid His life down for ours. And so we see the reminder of this, the, the humiliation of this. Even we see here the, the humiliation, the, 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 the lack of pride and exaltation, e even as Micah tells us about the birth of our Messiah. He mentions in verse 2, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, of course, Bethlehem was the city of a great king. King David was from Bethlehem. Now that's why, in God's providence, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, for he would go to the city of Joseph's family's birth. But it's there he says that this city, this Bethlehem, it's, it's too little to be counted among the clans, and yet the great king would be born there. He says, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler of Israel, one who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And so he gives us here this glimpse of the great king who would be born from the tiny town. That greatness would come from humility. That divinity and humanity would come from this small place too little to be numbered among the tribes. That points us forward, of course, to Jesus. It points us forward to what it was in the incarnation for Christ to empty himself out, for him to become fully man. We read this, Paul writes in Philippians 2 about our promised King Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Paul goes on to write about Jesus, that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Friends, I'll remind you this morning that the purpose of all of this was that we might have life. That this promised King, that this great King Jesus, that our King who today reigns on high, humbled Himself and was born a man. That in doing that, that the living water would thirst. That the bread of life would experience hunger. That the source of all truth would endure great lives. This is the humility of our Lord Jesus. That the great healer who would experience anguish and pain, the giver of life we read here who would become obedient 
to the point of death, even death on the cross. His reign would look different than any other ruler to ever live and who will ever live because he is the promised king. Micah tells us here in verse 4 that he would rule as a shepherd. <laughs> Unlike kings who rule as dictators and tyrants and who are corrupt, here we see we're served by a shepherd king. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. This picture of our great shepherd, he's not sitting and demanding and commanding, he stands and he serves his sheep. So that, he says, we may dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. A reminder to us that this king and this kingdom will never fall, but endures forever. Point three there, number three in your notes, the promised king then gives us lasting peace. This brings us to that familiar part of verse 5. And he shall be their peace. And notice here he says that their peace, that, that, that word there, it means an everlasting peace. It means a lasting peace. It means one that does not expire. It's a peace that endures. And friends, that's radically different than any other peace that the world offers. We, we hope for peace in Ukraine, but I'll remind you the war in Ukraine goes back quite a bit beyond February. It's been going on for nearly a decade now. And there will likely be at some point some treaty of peace, and that treaty will likely be broken, as most treaties are. Even peace in relationships. Perhaps you're not at peace with someone today, and, and maybe you'll come to peace with that person, only to find yourself at another point not at peace with them again. And That's how relationships go. We have to work at them. But I'll remind you, the peace that Jesus brings us is an everlasting peace. And what that means is that if your trust is in Christ today, if your hope is in Christ today, you can't lose that peace. You're not going to so offend God today that He takes that peace away from you. You're not going to so blow it this week in your walk with Christ that you no longer have peace for the rest of your life. Because the peace God offers you and I is not secured by our deeds, our vows, and our good works. The peace we have with Christ is secured by Christ. And friends, that is worth celebrating this day and each day. That we can have a peace that we can't mess up. That we can have a peace that no matter how hard we try, we can't lose. That we can have a peace that is secured by Christ and Christ alone, because it is a lasting peace. And we read earlier in Luke chapter 2 who this peace is for, that this peace on earth, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't envision a day when I stand before a holy God and say, to that God. Well, God, let me tell you why you should be pleased in me. Let me tell you about how good I was. Let me tell you about how on Christmas Day 2022, I went to church. And let me tell you about how no matter how miserable my kids were on that Christmas Day, I kept my cool. I didn't lose on anybody that whole day. Now, none of us envisioned that day because all of us know we're not going to stand before God one day pleading our case and justifying ourselves on how we got it all right. How we did all this on our own because we all need help all the time. 
And no matter how hard we vow, no matter how hard we try, we constantly fall short. But we're reminded that this peace that God brings us, this peace for whom He is well pleased, He is pleased in us because He is pleased in His Son. And on this Christmas day, if your hope is in Jesus, know this, you are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And when God looks to you and God sees me, He sees His Son. That's what it means to be covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what it means to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's not a robe you take off. That's not a coat you just put on on days when you feel like you've really messed up and you need something good to cover up what you've messed up. No, that is a covering that covers us from the moment of salvation for all eternity. If our hope truly rests in Jesus. So friend, the question for you this morning is, does your hope truly rest in Jesus? Are you at peace today? And if you find that you're not, perhaps the reason you're not is because there's a a deep peace you are lacking that only comes through Christ Jesus. And friends, the greatest gift is available for you today. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. There's no gift you can give in exchange for it to be deserving of it. It is the free gift of God and it is eternal life found in Christ Jesus. If you will confess Him as your King, your Lord, if you believe in your heart that God indeed raised Him from the dead, then on this Christmas day, you might find peace. And for those of you who found that peace, I want to remind you this morning that we are called to share this peace with others. The greatest gift we can give someone else is this gift of peace. And so it's fitting on this Christmas day that that we sing and worship in a way uh, that we sing about what it is to share this peace with others. And one of the great Christmas songs we sing, Go Tell to the Mountain, speaks to that very thing. That opportunity we have to go and tell others about this peace that's found in Christ. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand together and we're going to sing about sharing this peace with others. And we'll close with our doxology. If you would, pray with me.